This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Their mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code LOONYHOUR and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. ShakePay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. ShakePay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin, go check out ShakePay. Once again, guys, that's shakepay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 50. As always, joined by the three amigos. We've got Keith Dicker of IceCap Asset Management, and we got Rich Diaz at Acorn Macro Consulting. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. What's going on, Keith? Uh, Keith is prepping for a hurricane. This might be his final episode. <laughs> Keith, what's going on I'm over here. there? Yeah, but we, uh, so I'm here in Halifax, and we have a uh, pretty big hurricane heading Fiona, that's the name. Um, so, uh, you know, I was in I was in Bermuda for a long time, and you know, we were always getting hurricanes. I experienced a Cat Four, Hurricane Fabian, back in I think it was '03 or something like that. And um, so, Bermuda is really great in that building code requires every building be made out of concrete. The walls are literally 18 inches thick at a minimum. So, it's the island is built to withstand this stuff. Halifax, not so much. So we're uh, except for your this, house, yeah. Except for my house, yeah. Um, but this this is coming at us. It'll start hitting us on Friday, and today's Thursday, of course. So we're getting ready for it today. Bingo! But um, it's going to be a big one, guys. So hopefully, you know, no one will get hurt. But if it hits the way it's supposed to, you know, you're going to see some pretty. Um, unfortunate and, and sad looking videos and, and photos and, and stuff. So like in, in Halifax, like, you know, we have these enormous trees all around us and we had a hurricane maybe three, four years ago. I forget what it was, maybe five years ago. And like, like literally every 10th tree in the neighborhood was just like timber, you know, coming down like the Euro, like bang, like that. <laughs> and uh, I suspect we'll, we'll see it again. Yeah. Well, uh, Get down to your bunker there. That's what you, you built it for. And Rich, what's uh, what's going on, buddy? Oh boy, nothing really. Just grinding away, trying to get back, uh, find my find my footing back in in London. It seems like every day is just full of stuff. I've been spending a lot of time at the WeWork, which actually I have to say it's, it's an amazing business. Um, big Adam Newman fan, eh? No, not a big Adam Newman fan, but uh, it's funny. They have like these five rules, which is like, be kind, be generous and all this stuff. I'm just like, man, the guy like broke every single one of those rules. <laughs> tequila, tequila um, for everyone. But but they do have beer at three o'clock um, every day, which is nice. Uh, but no, I've been good. Yeah, man, yeah. just keep, you know, just grinding away. Nothing not much to report, sadly. Yeah. Lots of well, stuff going in the markets though, which is good. There you go. Yeah, we got lots to talk about. This is episode 50 again we appreciate everybody's support along the way uh, all we ask is that uh, you know you continue to share this episode with at least one friend or family member uh give us a five-star review help us continue to push past arrive can speaking of which rich you actually called it on last week's show when we you know we we tried to not get overly political but uh rich you said watch the trudeau government will start to shift to the right now that uh you know polyev was was the conservative leadership and it sounds like um they'll be removing on september 30th they'll be removing uh, a lot of the 
COVID requirements or whatever arrive can requirements on September 30th. So if you're uh, arriving into Canada, um, I believe they they're dropping all these restrictions now. So um, pretty, pretty big deal. I think. I'm shocked and saddened. It's an extremely highly rated app. <laughs> I, I thought. They would... Don't worry. You can still use it if you want. I mean, yeah, I guess I can still use it if you want. I mean, I, I didn't hear about that. So that's good news, I guess, for, for my mother, who's not exactly the most computer savvy person in the world. I can tell you it's really, really tough for older people, like no, all jokes aside, um, older people who are almost certainly boosted and vaxxed. Uh, I mean, the, the take up rate for anybody over like 75 is probably in the high 90s. And so the exact people who would be the least likely to break the rules are the ones that are getting hammered. And, and there's lots of immigrants to Canada. Um, my mother is an immigrant to Canada, all of her friends who aren't exactly super uh, like tech savvy. And so it's just I mean, it is an it's been an absolute nightmare for those that that group of people who, again, let's be very clear, anybody over the age of 75 or 80 is probably not what night, let's say 98, 99 percent vaccinated. So it's, it's really sort of a joke there. But anyways, it's good. Um, that's cool. Markets are markets are fading. Tell us what's going on, Keith. <laughs> Take Keith your victory has, lap. <laughs> Keith has three boosters. Um, no, I think we since, should. Uh, I've had okay. three since Monday. Every day you line up. <laughs> that's there. Right. That's yeah, I'd love to uh, open. We'll open up things on the on the Canadian front again, Canadian podcast. Um, but uh, you know, there's lots to talk about. Obviously, everybody's itching for for some feedback on the, on the Fed. Keith's got some great thoughts on that. You know, Jay Powell out <coughs> yesterday. Uh, you know, huge moves. I think everything everything that we've been talking about for for many many months has all all the pieces are coming together. I feel like we should start to get like that. Um, you know, we like has something broken yet? You know those like Twitter accounts where it's like, anyways, I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna ramble on here, but um, yeah, has something broken yet? No, 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 no. But we are getting very, very close. Um, well, let's open it up here on the the Canadian front. We talked about it briefly last week. We do have some of the national housing data, which came out. So I'll briefly touch on that. Um, you know, we just missed it on the release of September 15th. But in case you missed it. Uh, so national house prices in Canada uh, continue to move lower. They fell 1.6% month over month in August. Um, so the index, which measures the price of a typical home, again, this is not your average house price, which will fluctuate based on you know the composition of housing that's selling. This is a hedonically adjusted index. It's the same as the US Case-Shiller index. Uh, so that was down 1.6% month over month. The typical home has now dropped by $108,000 since peaking in March. And national house prices are now down 12% from the highs. So that 12%, you know, maybe it doesn't sound like a whole lot um, given where interest rates are, but 12% is actually the steepest decline on record dating back to when the index was created in 2005. So that surpasses... Um, you know, 2008, 2009 at the global financial crisis. So we're at 12%. And I think there's definitely some more room to go. But if you break that down by uh, sort of major metro areas here, so leading the pack, uh, the greater Toronto area is down 15%. Again, obviously a highly levered housing market with a lot of speculation built into it, in particular in the suburbs. So that's not really a surprise there. Greater Toronto down 15%, Ottawa down 11%. Greater Vancouver off 7%, Montreal down 6 Calgary off 2%, and Keith, I think you there in Halifax, I think you guys are down about 7 or 8%. So, um, Sorry, Steve, is it, just to be clear, it's, it's year on year or from the peak? That's from the peak. That's from the peak. Okay, so cool. if you look at year uh, on year, right? I mean, this is all like where we try to explain, obviously, the listeners, I think, you know, a lot of them are well-versed enough, but, um, you know, rate of change, right? So if you look at the rate of change, like national house prices are down 12% from the peak, but they're actually still up year over year. year. Right. Okay. And, what, and when was the peak? The, Just remind us. Sorry. When, when was the peak? Uh, officially, I think per, per the, per the home yeah, yeah. price index, it was actually, it, it's recording it as March, but I mean, okay. if you ask anyone in local markets, I mean, pretty much every housing market in Canada basically peaked in February. Okay. And if we're, Really going to touch on it. Uh, so every housing market essentially peaked in February and the Bank of Canada began their first rate hike in March. So uh, they started their rate hike. They started their tightening cycle one month after uh, the largest asset. And actually it was 
peaking and rolling over. So, um, but that's, that's par for the cause, I suppose. But um, yeah. And then, you know, I think we talked about it last week, but Canadian household wealth, obviously a trillion dollars off, um, off household balance sheets. So something we'll get into, but um, I think rich, you also had, so this is important, right? When we talk about rate of change perspective, right? We say, okay, you know, national house prices are actually still up. I think they're still up like 5% or something year over year. So if you look at that, you might get a little bit confused. It depends on how the media reports it, but they're actually falling. They're down 12% from the peak. Now, if we look and apply the same sort of idea to Canada's CPI index, CPI inflation, um, you know, that came in below expectations. It's growing at 7% year over year from last year. But if you look at sort of what's happening, you know, month over month, we can see that it actually is slowly now starting to come down. So Rich, if you want to kind of walk us through uh, some of the CPI data and sort of your perspective on that, I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty important. Sure. All right. So I think it came out yesterday or the day before actually. And um, so I'll just run us through the thing. So you're right, Steve, I think the headline number fell to 7%. So year on year, it's up, but month over month, it was down. If I'm not, that, that's right. And core inflation, oh, my computer just, oh, there it is. Core inflation um, stopped rising. And I think that's, that's really important and sits at 5.2. There are different measures of core. We'll get to that in, in a second. Um, the thing that I think what's really important to remember is why it fell and how it fell. So, you know, I think that even though the print came out less than expected, I think it hides some sort of, uh, not, not, not nefarious is not the right word, but, you know, it hides some underlying stuff that I think is not anywhere near as positive. And you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, that's similar to what was happening in, in the US. So even though the headline numbers started to come off, you have this like breadth, which I've discussed in the, uh, with uh, the US, you have some of the underlying components that are still quite strong. We'll see. I think in Canada, it's a bit different. Then the U.S., I think the, the, the Canadian um, labor market is nowhere near as tight as the U.S. Um, and wage growth and, and the banking credit uh, sector is not as tight. And so I think that there's much more inflationary pressure in America, which, which will lead us into the conversation that Keith's going to drive us through. But anyway, so back to Canada. So we had the decline was due to goods. And so goods was peaked at, I think, at 11 or 12 percent and is now down to 11.5 percent. Um, remember those goods and services, goods are uh, driven by commodity prices, et cetera. And then services is much more linked to um, labor market and is generally more sticky, e.g. it has less volatility in the series. Within you, that, oh, sorry. Would you say that good stuff is basically just like people are basically buying less stuff? No, I don't think so. Not yet. I think it's goods, which is what I was about to say. So in that you've got goods as energy. So I, I know you don't think of, of energy as a good, but you know, that's how it's sort of, that's where it's, it's split. It's an in. input cost. Yeah. So that's, so the reason, so the really, I think. It's what, not what, bad. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that was such a bad joke. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so the reason, you know, we had the headline number fall was because of transportation and, and within that transportation, obviously also energy. So energy costs, as you can imagine, oils come off quite a bit. I don't know exactly what we are um, on the, the on the Brent crude oil. Yeah, we're down to 82. I think, remember, we were up to 120 on the WTI or 113, 114, 115. So we're, you know, that, that started to feed into through these other numbers. But whereas, you know, and the other stuff, you know, things that are also really important as far as the major components is food still up, healthcare and personal care, that's up, um, you know, month on month. And, you know, we know that they're high up year on year. So food, back to food, I think that's, this is where back to the whole not spending thing. Yes, food is related to what's going on in um, commodity prices, et cetera. But it's also, you know, if you look at, it's also demand driven as well. You've got fast food, you got, uh, you know, from take table service, and that's really struggling to basically find people to do the job basically. And that's being affected by wages. And so the, there's still some inflationary pressure in that area. The key, I think, takeaway was number one, energy, number two, food. And the third one, which we've talked about a lot here is the shelter component. And the shelter component, that started to fall. I think it's four months in a row now that it's fallen. So it's at 6.6 .6 year on year, and the contribution is starting to fall. So the contribution is only about 2, 2.6%. And, and then, you know, there's questions about whether rents are rising, which I think there are as people substitute buying houses to, to, to renting. And so there's definitely some rental pressure 
inflationary pressure in the rental market. And then, uh, but the, I think the really cool chart that I'm, I've been watching and we've been talking and people who have been listening to us for a year now, which is crazy, by the way, um, which is the producer price index, which I remove core and remove oil products from. Um, sorry, the core producer prices. Sorry, I, I garbled that. So core producer prices tend to lead core inflation in Canada. Now, it's not perfect, I understand, but it's worked really well over the last you know, 15 or 20 years. And we sort of were talking about this, I think, six or seven months ago. Um, and lo and behold, core inflation is indeed starting to roll over. The problem is what we've seen in the US and what we might see in Canada is even though it's no longer at the peak, it might stay quite high, which will inevitably lead to more rate hikes, right or wrong. That's what's going to happen. Keith will talk on that in a second. But anyway, so there you go. That's the, that's the story. I think the, the, the real takeaway is we really did think it was going to peak around this time. And what is it, September? What did we say, Steve? I think, I think we, we said oh, I mean, August. we were definitely, we were earlier in the year for sure. I no, think. we were pretty good on this one, man. One month or two months away for a series like this is, I'm going to take that as a win. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't, can't nail them to, to a T. I, I mean, it's, what, I, what I find interesting though, is the, the idea that, because I posted this on like Twitter, I didn't even say like, Hey, yeah, it's real. I just literally, you just post the statistics. People hate the idea that inflation might be coming down. Why would you hate something that's just a fact? I, I think understand. it's like this like dogmatic view that like, I think people just want to see the world like crash and burn too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like, don't, I don't. <laughs> no, I did. But I think like there's a cohort of Twitter or society in general that's just like, hey, you know what? This isn't working for me. And, and I want rate hikes to go into oblivion. <clears throat> and I, I don't know. It's Maybe it's just like a... I get it. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a disdain for the existing system. Right. I mean, well, those people should read about the French revolution and then get back to me because be careful what you wish for is, is what I would say. But the other thing, Steve, we've, and you've talked about this as well, which is the base effect. It's basically impossible for these, unless you're Argentina or Venezuela and you're run by total and complete idiots rather than just people who are like, you know, not so smart. Um, you know, it's very, very, very difficult to have these numbers ratchet ever higher and higher. Eventually, the math sort of catches up with you, which is just another way of saying the base effects are important. And so that's why it's very, very difficult for those numbers to not eventually roll over and to normalize to some degree. Yeah, I mean, if like I said, you'll you'll see it in the YouTube comments here, even post show that you know people do not like the idea that inflation could come down. Um, but I think to that point as well, speaking of shelter inflation, I have a strong opinion. I I talked about this. I was very bullish on on rent growth yeah, uh, in that. Canada uh, over the last what six to twelve months, and I think we've peaked. I think that re- the rental rent? market. Yeah, the rental market, I think, has peaked. Even um, with population growth at, you know, 1.3, 1.4. Yeah, I think maybe- I, I, but I also feel, yeah, I think the rental market's peaked. I think it's, I think the best day, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not softening, but I, I think in terms of the rent growth, I think you're going to see yeah. that really start to taper off. And that's going to take many months, I think, yeah, as you would know better than I would, to, to actually filter through into CPI and in, in that shelter component. Uh, because it's such a lagging indicator the way that these yeah. agencies collect. No, it's a really yeah, it's a really good point. We often we often obsess over these numbers month on month, and but it I mean it is these are lagging numbers, right? I'm when I'm talking about just for everybody to understand, this is the August numbers that we're talking about. Sorry, sometimes we we sort of skip over that, but you're you're right. I mean it's just an indication. I mean there's obviously a feel. We've said it from people have said, oh, it's only three six percent. It must be way higher. Yes, there's obviously mistakes there too. Um, this is just. I, I, it's a little bit of crumb and a little bit of evidence that you need to sort of understand what's going on. It's not perfect as, as you've highlighted many times. Um, but anyway, so that's going on an in inflation bit. Um, I don't know. Keith, yeah. Did you have one? Added well, yeah, I mean, or? we've, we've got that. So we had obviously Canada's uh, inflation uh, just to quickly wrap up the Canadian frontier. Um, so you actually had, uh, was it deputy governor of the bank of Canada? I believe it was Paul Beaudry. Um, I thought it was Carolyn Rogers. I, well, I don't know. Whoever the hell Paul Bode. There might be is. two deputies, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Mr. Mr. Paul, who probably doesn't listen to this podcast, uh, he was giving a speech at uh, Waterloo University, I believe, yesterday. So he was out saying, you know, yeah, we got to 
you got to basically got to get rates up. We need to slow the economy. And then I think one of the students asked him, you know, what he felt about recession probabilities and odds. And he's like, well, it's much, it's still too early to, to make any sort of, you know, recession calls. And again, guys, I think this Keith is going to, salivate here in the, into the podcast. I mean, this is, I think this isn't yet, I think it's going to get pretty ugly. I mean, I would argue we're already in a recession, um, you know, certainly at least in the housing market. And that's given the weighting of, of housing, uh, you know, on the Canadian economy, I, I think it's just, it's, it's going to filter through. Um, but Keith, more importantly, we had a huge announcement from the fed yesterday, you know, so raise, raise rates, 75 basis points. You know, there was a lot of talk going into the meeting that the Fed would raise 100 basis points. They came in at 75, but it was really the hawkish rhetoric from, from Jay Powell post-announcement uh, there, which I think really got markets stirring. So I don't know, why don't you sort of walk us through that and, and uh, give us your thoughts? Yeah, it was, uh, I just want to add on a couple of points. So I think that really sort of wrap up, we were just talking about, first of all, with, with inflation, um, I don't think what, what you guys are suggesting is that price is going to come down. It's just the rate of growth is, is going to right. flatten out. Right. So like a year from now, I do not suspect we're going to have deflation. In no, the system. I agree. Yeah, un- unless we experience like a, a very significant, you know, economic crash of some sort. And, uh, you know, we're not at, at that level here at all. The other interesting thing, I just like anecdotal stuff. I love observing things. So, you know, I had to go down to the market there this morning to get some, uh stuff for the hurricane which was you know beer wine and chips that that's what usually umbrella. you stack up on yeah an umbrella and um but what was interesting at the this is one of the big law laws here and i go in i'm chatting with with the lady and uh she said yeah we're missing eight people from work this morning and i said why is that normal she said they just don't show up for work I said, like, what the heck? Like, what's wrong with people? And, you know, this is a lady of my vintage. And she said, I don't know. I said, my days, you had a job, you went to work. You know, these days, you know, they're all university kids, basically. And, you know, we're just sort of talking about it. And then you know, I think that, you know, the world has changed in many ways. But I, I hope the work ethic is going, something has to change here because, Guys like me, I'm getting older and I'm not going to be around to work hard, you know, much longer. We need something to come up here. But I think, though, uh, maybe, and I don't know if it's right to say this or I'm saying it correctly, but I, I think because governments have become so involved in our lives, especially over, over the last couple of years, there's this sense that maybe you don't have to work hard. I know a lot of people are working really hard because we, we speak with them all the time. But, you know, it, it just struck me this morning with that conversation and i see it at other places as well um here around the city but um i don't know if that added any value probably not it, it did not part, <laughs> well, yeah, it did not because but, wait well i gotta say this because employment rate for people on age between 15 and 24 hasn't changed since 1976 because i'm looking at the chart right now and in fact, part-time employment between for kids aged 15 to 24 has actually gone up, not down since the 1980s. So I, I don't know. I think the that point, old but, man yells but, at but, cloud <laughs> portion. No, my point is that they're not showing up for work. But Somebody no, come bag my damn groceries. <laughs> yeah, bag my bag of chips for me. Anyway, maybe I, I think no, Keith, Keith, I think the point, though, really is ultimately, and I'm sure we're going to get the comments from it, is that yes, these people probably should be getting paid more to offset the rising cost of living. And I think the thesis or the theme that's in play, I think over the next, you know, five to 10 years is that the, the, the power. How's the dog? Uh-oh. 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 <laughs> the yeah, dog's here. in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so rich. Did you hear the one of, okay, there's the- Uh-oh, the dog's uh, in real trouble now. Well, I want to contradict myself because um, even though I, I'm, I'm mocking uh, Keith about the employment rate for youth, I think it's important to remember that there, there are ways that you can measure it in a different way, which is the from the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses does a survey every month. And still, I think this is like, the I want to say the 20th month in a row or whatever. I can't remember exactly how many months in a row, but it's a long, long time. Um, they've said that um, a quality of labor and a, so lack of skilled 
and unskilled labor is still their major problem, not input cost, not inflation, not um, cost of capital, not access to financing, um, the quality and availability of the labor force and labor market is the, the number one thing that is the problem for um, independent businesses all over Canada. And again, this is a survey of thousands and thousands of businesses and et cetera, et cetera. So there, just to contradict my own, my previous point. Yeah. I was just commenting on the, the lack of enthusiasm shown up for work when you're supposed to. Oh yeah. I get anyway, that. Before I was, before I was rudely interrupted. I had very, Steve, you're out of the podcast, by the way. Yeah, yeah before yeah. I was really interrupted by George. Um, yeah, the anyways, but the, the, the point was basically that the, the power is moving back, I think, to to labor over capital. Um, and and so yeah, the you can see the rising uh the rising of unions and, and whatnot. So um yeah, I think that's something that we're gonna play out and we can I think that obviously filters through into into wage growth, which clearly Keith, the Fed is trying to mitigate. So why don't you give us your thoughts on that on the Fed? Yeah, let's now get into some really cool stuff. So, um, you know, the Fed, so the first thing with the Fed yesterday was 75 base points. That was like 95% expected in mar- financial markets. That was no surprise. Uh, but Powell came out on the presser and he like he was his guns were ablazing. And one of the very first things he said, facing the Q&A, <clears throat> excuse me, was that uh, this is me member back to Jackson Hole, which was, you know, just a few hours ago, really. He said, nothing has changed from that day. And if you remember his, you know, we talked about it. His speech was probably six or seven minutes at the most. And he dropped the mic when he finished. And the story came out afterwards. He actually had this much longer speech prepared. And they all looked at it and he said, no, I'm scrapping this completely. I'm just coming out and say, listen, we're going to raise rates. We're going to continue to raise rates. All this stuff you guys are talking about, we are not going to pivot any point soon. Get ready for it. And that's how he started the presser yesterday. And uh, so as soon as he said that, you know, I was, you know, chatting with a few of my friends uh, that we have here in some chat rooms and stuff. And we said, oh my God, like he's, he's going for it today. And uh, like all these questions that were thrown at, at him, uh, but he based like one of the questions was, well, how bad does it have to get before you will stop raising rates? And he's like, the first thing he said was, listen, we're going to keep going until inflation is down to 2%. So, you know, you know, there's one thought process out there. Hey, you know, the economy is going to crash so hard that we'll, we'll see a 2% inflation number a lot sooner than people are thinking. I think that ties in what, what, what Rich was saying earlier about the rate of growth and all that. But the other part was the question was like, how much pain do people have to feel? And he said, he basically said, uh, what did he say? He said, basically, uh, I don't care. Like, no, no, he said, no, he doesn't care. He said, you know, there's going to be job losses, uh, lack of bonus payments, maybe wage, you know, your house is going to value, your portfolio is definitely going to get raked over. But all of that is not as important as getting the rate of inflation down. And he just kept going at it on and on and on. And then like markets just broke afterwards. And uh, so, you know, we like to say all the time, we're always looking for a reason to change our view. And I think you guys know our view by now. We, we think markets are so tight. You know, every day they're tightening the screws somewhere else. And the US dollar is just gonna go vertical. And then on, along the way, you know, that's breaking everything in its path. And that's what was happening yesterday. And you wake up this morning, it's happening again. And we got to talk about the Japanese, of course, because that was probably the, one of the most exciting, shocking, astonishing announcements that the Japanese did uh, late last night or early this morning. So we'll go into that as well. But uh, all these movements here right now, the, the Fed is telling you, we're going to crush the economy. We're going to crush financial markets. Get over it. Get ready. Get positioned properly. And, uh, you know, you'll be okay with it. But again, like this is where we're going. Nothing has changed with those thoughts. There. Boom. That was really well put. She's gone. As usual. I think you deserve a victory lap. <laughs> I think there was uh, some really good comments there from Powell, too. I was watching where... Um, you know, he basically said, you know, the U.S. housing market needs to go through a correction. Um, you know, he Not came happening. out. 
Yeah, he, he said that, uh, you know, people were bidding 10% over houses without even seeing them. And that, you know, we need to get back to stable growth in the housing market, which is, you know, two, three, four, five percent a year or whatever, uh, you know, not this, you know, 15, 20 percent a year. So, I, I mean, again, to, for him to come out and, and say that blatantly that, you know, housing, again, is going to be another casualty of these rate hikes is is pretty abnormal. But I think that this is the, the I mean, they're not they're not mincing words. Let's put it that way. And I, he was basically taunting everyone yesterday and i thought it was funny i mean like we're, we're positioned for this so um you know we, we, we've we've been doing really well with our portfolios the last few days but it was it was just shocking he's he's literally like waving this in front of you he said i'm gonna do this if you don't think i'm not gonna do this then you're stupid and you well, know, the we market is known for the market is known for calling the bluff of well whether it's the fed or other i mean that that's what's happening right the market is was calling the fed's bluff yeah. and i think the fed's not bluffing i think right in the, in short yeah you're, you're absolutely right risk because that in my mind like i think the market has called the bluff maybe three times now the last few months yeah. and each time because i like to say you know that i think the fed is probably the best central bank out there in terms of trying to be consistent with transparency because you know we've said before that if the Fed believes that the market is thinking something else than what they want to do, that they'll they'll bring them back in. You know, they have ways of, of doing that, of course. They can directly tell the commercial banks or they can, you know, go to their favorite reporter and say, you might want to ask this question or they can, you know, they can move financial markets themselves, you know, through the New York Fed and everything. Um, but every single time markets have deviated the way so far, the Fed continues to come out. And I think yesterday was just Powell. He was just snapping. He said, guys, listen, I continue to tell you the same story. This is where we're going. So I think what's really interesting here, though, is um, if you look at where rates are expected to be now, like a year out, uh, I don't recall what we said they were last week, guys, but for the Fed right the now. The whole curve, the whole curve is rising. They're calling it the terminal rate. Like, at what point are they going to stop raising rates? So right now, for um, for the Americans, so they're at three and a quarter right now. But um, for next year, like, it's getting up to four and a half to four seventy five. So like, there's another one hundred and fifty basis points coming in in rate hikes, and that's that's going to be a tough one. Um, you know, we keep saying it'll keep happening until something breaks and, you know, people say, well, <laughs> nothing is broken yet. Um, there's been a lot of bending going on. I mean, I, I think if you're down 10, 20, 25% your investment portfolio for the year, like you're not broke yet, but you're, you're getting broker than you were before. Um, you know, a lot of things are going off. So like, see, you mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, real estate in Halifax. I think you said the number was like 3, 6%. 7 or, or 8% or something down from the peak. Yeah, like I know, like just anecdotally, I, that, that number is, is BS. I, I bet you it's it's 20% plus from some of the Yeah, okay, I mean, yeah. Up, right? it, that, and that's that's the problem, these hedonically adjusted like indexes, right? They, they, they're smoothed out. They, they tend to lag a bit as well. So, I mean... You know, again, Vancouver, they're saying is down 7%. Fun, fun fact for anyone that's, you know, in Vancouver. Um, so we have like suburban house markets that are down easily cut and dry 20% from the peak. And then you go into like some of these condos in the city, like where I am here, the, the, the prices have not changed at all. They're flat, which is actually insane to think about it because you're like wow like interest rates are up you know 300 basis points your mortgage rates has more than doubled and the price has not moved so there's all these sort of variances and so when we say greater vancouver is down seven percent we're taking detached condos townhouses we're lumping them all in from all these different municipalities and giving you one number so it's not perfect um but uh yeah there, there are certainly po pockets of the market that are getting crushed um, and, and again, you know, some of these suburban markets down 20, could they drop another 10, 15, 20%? Like that's, 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 that's painful. Um, can uh, I just add something? Know, can I just add something to the, to your story, Keith, which I think is important just to no, remind some we're not listeners. Rich. <laughs> Steve and I have a thing going on. <laughs> no, no, I'm doing it. Um, I think one of the, you know, we're talking about the terminal rate and when we think the fed will end it and whatever rate it is. 
And I think it's important to remember that the U.S. has a dual mandate, um, which is, you know, inflation and then, you know, stable inflation around 2% or whatever it is. And then obviously the labor market. And I think the reason why, I mean, I'm quite, I'm, you know, I had a client call the other day and I said, you know, the Fed funds rate might get to 5%. And she was like, 5%, you know, that'll destroy all of my emerging market positions. So Keith, you'd be happy to hear that. But the the reason I I'm, I I believe that is because the we the one thing that you sort of left out in in your in your little spiel there, which is the labor market, and the labor market just and I think um, Powell mentioned this um, you know a couple of times is like the labor market is just so so tight and and I would I'd love to see on what is it the first Friday of every month or the last Friday of every month I can always forget but the non farm payrolls I think is going to absolutely smash the the expectations and it's again because of things we've talked about you know steve alluded to it which is the age dependency ratio not enough young people versus the spenders the old and and long we've got extremely strong wage growth as an indicator america has the lowest population growth i think it's had basically i don't want to say ever but in a very 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 long time contrast that with very high population growth in canada and that's driving the wages that are really strong wage growth um, so, in, you know, if you look at the employment cost index, which includes sort of benefits and other sort of non, you know, pay related um, you know, compensation, that's in the nine, 10 percent. And, you know, that that's this is where I think, you know, I think that and then if you look at, you know, things like uh, in, uh, initial jobless claims, continuing jobless claims, um, if you look at um, job um, labor shortages, the, the jolts thing that I always forget what the thing like every, virtually every single labor market metric that you can come up with is still not only strong, but in some cases getting stronger and, and certainly at the minimum, extremely, extremely tight. And I think that's part of the reason why um, Powell has what he feels is his runway. I mean, that's the way I sort of see it. Um, also, the, the S&P 500 is only at, you know, well, it was 15 minutes ago, it was at uh, 3761, you know, and so we haven't really had any pain at all in the equity market plus the strength of the labor market. And so that's why I think, you know, when we look at these forward curves for the Fed futures rate that you said, Keith, we're, we're ratcheting higher and higher in that term. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised at all to see that just get into the five. So I don't know, that that, that, that was sort of what I was saying to my client. And I, and I really believe that until the labor market starts to squeak, I just, I don't know. Quick I comment know on that uh, before Keith jumps in. Uh, so just a quick note on the Fed. Um, so today, uh, 12 of 19 uh, Fed officials expect Fed funds to be between 45 and 5% by, the, uh, by December of 2023. Uh, so that's kind of 45 to 5% is kind of where they're expecting things to be. Uh, in, in December of 2021, they expected a 75 to 100 basis point uh, Fed funds rate for the year end of 2022. So, I mean, again, I, this kind of just highlights their 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 forecasting abilities. I mean, no, but they're uh, behind the curve. That's that's the thing. They all thought they all thought inflation was transitory, which is what ha- this is exactly. I mean, I I have a presentation this weekend, and one of my slides is comparing the debacle that was the Fed fund policy in 1946 to 1951 and what's happening now. And if you look at that and you compare it, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's wild how it's like the history repeats, you know? Oh, well, I've got another little fun stat for, I mean, there's Go just so it. many things that they got wrong and I don't know, everybody, I mean, so this is in February of 2021, Powell said that M2 money supply growth, which was running at 26% would not spur inflation. It's something that we need to quote unlearn, um, you know, and then we've got, you know, just another quick update on the fed as well. This is from Larry McDonald, the bear traps report. Uh, he says the fed sees PCE inflation all the way down at 2.8% with GDP up at 1.2% um, for the end of 2023. So by the end of 2023, Fed PCE inflation will be down at 2.8%, but GDP will be up at 1.2. And he says that's up from 0.2% in 2022. So GDP is going to be up and inflation is going to be down uh, in 2023. So it kind of doesn't really square the square the hole there with uh, the, <laughs> the fact that you got to crash the economy to actually get inflation down. I think there's a lot of 
you know, we continue to see a lot of data points that it cannot be reconciled. So, um, and again, I, so it's interesting because I mean, we, we did talk about the economy, it's going to come off. And now it seems like it's, it is going to roll off, but even, oh yeah, I saw an article this morning, one of the BMO, uh, guys, I don't know if you Wh- which economy in the Canada, you mean? What all of them? I mean, Canada's Canadian, screwed. This is Canadian specific now. So, uh, the, the, the BMO fixed income head, uh, not his feet, his head sees 99.9% odds of a fed induced recession. Um, so I know he's going on and saying, hey, like we're, we're headed for a recession now. Remember, we went from a period a few months ago to recession talk was stupid. Like why, why are you even suggesting it? As we get closer, it's no, no recession, but we're going to slow down. Now the conversation is, yeah, we're definitely going for a recession. And, you know, what I suggest is very high probability. This ain't going to be a little small recession. It's going to be a thumper that's coming up and that's not bad because it just means there's some great ways to make some money here but with all the central banks raising rates you know they're everyone is struggling they're all you know synchronized with what they're doing but it's just going to create this you know uncomfortable environment so if you look at europe for example you know my favorite my favorite market i like to look at um because i think it's the maybe now the second best market to make some money on but, um, you know, the ECB, they're, they're raising rates. They might have to stop doing that, but they're going to raise rates. They're going to do more QE coming up. They're trying to bail out the Italians on, on the 10-year. You know, they have this energy crisis that that's continues to develop. And, you know, I was chatting with a guy a couple of days ago. He's, he's one sharp guy uh, in the energy world. And um, I was asking about the, about the German economy with energy. And he said, Keith, you know, if, it, if the weather is, is mild, like it's not as cold as what it usually is, he said, you know, they'll be okay. Like they'll get through it. You know, it's not to be confused with it's going to be awesome or anything, but you know, there is a path where they can get through the winter and it'll be fine. But anyway, uh, but Europe is in trouble, which sort of leads to uh, what's happening in Japan right now. And, um, do you guys want to talk about Europe again before we move over to Japan? Well, I was just going to say the Italians, uh, there's been viral videos going online that the Italians uh, in Naples there, which I was just there about a week ago, are in the streets uh, ripping up their energy bills and uh, protesting. So thank God I got out of there. Well, I mean, yeah. if, did you hear about the community paying 10x or something? I, I don't even know if this is true or not. So I'd love, I'm going to maybe double, I shouldn't have said it so cavalier, but I heard of a, there's a, there's a town in Italy somewhere that, that, you know, paid, that was having to pay 10x their previous August um, energy bill, um, which is just, these numbers are absolutely mind-boggling. Um, and I don't think, in, and we, we know, we've talked about this a lot, I don't think the ECB raising interest rates in, in Europe is going to help what ails Europe. Um, the demand for energy will remain, and they don't have any of it, so it's... Because, you know, Rich, one thing that you did really well for a while now, you're introducing everyone to the concept that energy markets, you know, specifically oil and then not gas as well. It's, I don't want to use the word permanently, but somewhere between permanent and temporarily, it's been, um, what's the right word? Uh, Not destroyed, but progress has been stopped. Castrated? <laughs> maybe but uh Neutered? you know and, so we have that and, and they can't turn it on so you know you're right raising rates won't fix any of that uh, but let's look at the japanese and because uh, we've talked before how you know they run into a real challenge over there and that they had to stop interest rates from rising and so that by the way that means not only do they not raise interest rates uh it, it means that they're going to prevent the entire bond market from going down in price, which would mean you know, yields are going up. So they, you know, they capped the yield curve. And by doing that, it meant the yen was just getting crushed. Like it's a one-way bet. And then finally last night, the, uh, the Bank of Japan, and they did it on behalf of the, the Ministry of Finance, uh, they started supporting the yen. So here they are now, they're, they're trying to save the bond market and save the currency market. So yen has probably had a two and a half percent round trip here this morning. 
Uh, but from an investing perspective, so I look at this and um, so I, I do manage a, a private fund. So we're able to take advantage of, of these moves as opposed to just simply long only stuff. But in long only stuff, we're short yet. You know, we're, we're doing well with that trade. But so right now, you know, we look at what the Japanese are doing. And, um, you know, it's one thing for them to protect the bond market, but to protect the yen means that for selling your dollars, you know, to buy yen in the marketplace. And, you know, people who are perpetual or perma bearers for the dollar, they say, ah, there it is. There's another big player selling their dollars, you know, treasuries first to get dollars and then sell it. See, it's going down, which of course is only one way thinking because someone is buying it on the other side. But let's just say you're in Japan right now and uh, you're sitting on all this yen and you're, you know, you're a smart firm or family office or individual you say, holy smokes, this is the last opportunity I have now to sell my yen and to buy dollars or buy euro or CAD, whatever you want to do. So the domestic guys now, they're saying, I'm out of here. You know, they sell and get out. If you are a, if you're, if you're a Japanese and you have money outside the country, and this is the other big story today, you know, all the Japanese are going to expatriate their money back in. Uh, maybe, maybe some guys would do that, but if, if you're a smart guy, say you're, you know, you're living the life over in Naples and you have a lot of money there to pay your energy bills and stuff like that. You're saying, why the hell am I going to put my money back in yen when I know that it's only one way street, they can go down in value. And then at the same time, uh, if you were a foreign investor, if you're not Japanese, you have no ties to Japan, but you're thinking, yeah, you know, I think we should, uh, open a new manufacturing plant somewhere to do this or that. Uh, let's look at Japan and you're gonna get a tap on the shoulder and say, oh wow, if you put your money in Japan now, you're buying yen and you know, that's a one way loss as well. So I mentioned that, you know, Europe was always my favorite market that could, you know, trigger this big crisis where something could break. Now it's the Japanese. So they're, they're sitting there now pretty lonely so everyone watched the Japanese market, the bond market, as well as the currency market, what the Bank of Japan is doing and the Ministry of Finance. But for these guys to come out and explicitly say, hey, you know, we're going to intervene in the FX market because they're the first ones to do it. Um, it, it means things are, are really tight. So maybe the Europeans go next. Maybe the Canadians do it. But, you know, this U.S. dollar wrecking ball, it's, it's wrecking stuff right now. And at some point it'll be over, you know, it'll be a good time you know, to transition out. But, uh, you know, I, I just can't state enough this week. And then last week with the CPI number, like this is going, you know, exactly as we expected, not exactly, you know, 75% as we expected. It's a great way to make money if you're on the right side of the trade and you can see which way it's going. But that's the, uh, the big news in Japan and, and you know, sort of with, with Europe and it's affecting Canada. Well, Canada's, I mean, speaking of Canada, Canada's just so lucky we have as much energy as we do. I mean, if you look at the, the market selling off quite a bit today, including the bond market, remember we talked about that last week, both the bond and the stocks are moving down together, which is, you know, if Powell wanted to freak people out, that's one surefire way to do it is to get, you know, long, long-term bonds to sell off 1.6, 1.7%, which is a lot, by the way, um, for, for a bond market, especially 20-year bonds. Um, as well as the equity, but you know what the sector that's actually still up on, up on the day, which is, um, and the reason I'm laughing is because I guess, you know, one of the things, you know, I've gotten a lot of things wrong in the last year or two, but this is definitely one of the things I got right, which is the energy market is going up. And, and, and I, and the reason I bring that up, because I want to read a quote that you guys shared with me, but I think it's just amazing. It really, really speaks to what's been going on here. And I think it's important that our listeners listen to it. And it's from the Aramco CEO. Now Aramco, the CEO of Aramco, um, is that Aramco is owned by a country that I don't think is particularly, let's say, good, or let's say I don't share the values of that particular nation. But be that as it may, the CEO absolutely nails it. And I quote, when you shame oil and gas investors, dismantle oil and coal fired power plants, fail to diversify energy supplies, especially gas, and oppose LNG, liquefied natural gas, receiving terminals, and reject nuclear power, your transition plan had better be right. And 
I want to finish that quote by quoting someone else who I also don't necessarily think is a particularly moral or virtuous person, but this is one of, this is probably one of the best quotes ever. And the, to quote Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think those two quotes together really explain a lot of what's been going on over the last little while, uh, whether it's, you know, the collapse in the current account balance in Italy after they've had basically a great run of sort of reorganizing their economy. I know Keith doesn't agree, but that, that's my view. The current account balance in, in Europe, which has been 3% of GDP in perpetuity, which is basically the only reason that, that that economy has basically survived, whether it's Japan, a lot of these countries basically over like that energy policy blunder it, it is going to cost lives. And it's going to, you know, it's, it, it's meaningful when you ignore physics, when you ignore reality, um, when you underinvest in critical infrastructure because of a hope and a prayer, when you ignore nuclear power. I know people have heard me rant about this for a long time. And so I'm, I'm going to spare you guys today, but it's really, you know, it's, it's really, really sad. I think we need to revisit a lot of this and maybe this crisis, you know, is, is what, what it takes. As we both know, that's not what's happening in Europe. They're doubling down on these dumb policies. But hopefully, if the euro does go to zero, Keith, maybe they'll start building some liquefied natural gas terminals in northern Germany and sort of change their mind on this problem. And hopefully Canada, the takeaway from Canada is that we can really step in and help the world with the most important commodity in an ethical and, 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 and safe and environmentally friendly way. And, and I don't know, that's, it'll be really interesting. I think it's really sad. I mean, what's happening in Italy. And so Rich, what, what has to happen, you think? Cause you know, you know, we all know this and you know, our listener knows this, um, but I'm still not hearing the message from government policymakers today. Like, first of all, they'll never admit they made a mistake, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. So is there a solution? That, that's a, oh, sorry, sorry. Is there a solution? Um, I think the in, in Japan they're they're revisiting their nuclear stance, which is to me great. Um, Japan has excellent engineers, excellent infrastructure. It's safe. It's basically not corrupt. It's on a uh, on a on a tectonic plate fault, but you know, had they better insulated their gener their generators when the tsunami came, they wouldn't be a Fukushima. And they've learned that lesson. And that's what humans do. Hopefully they learn and they move forward. So Japan has walked back its ban. They're going to they're revisit opening nine nuclear power plants. Germany, I think, is going to face that um, fact as well. They've walked back that. Europe recently, a little while ago, they voted on whether natural gas and nuclear power is quote unquote green. Greta, who is, in my view, one of the most dangerous human beings on the planet, um, obviously said that that was a bad idea. Thankfully, the European Parliament voted in favor of making nuclear power and natural gas, quote unquote, green. And in Canada, I think we're about to see, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing because it's going to get really ugly, this politics in Canada. Um, I think we're about to see what's going on. In the US, I don't know. I think in the US, I think there's people like Jamie Dimon, who today was asked by a congresswoman whether he would stop financing oil and gas project. And he, Jamie Dimon, like a sensible person that he is, said, no, that's a terrible, that's a, basically the road to hell in, in America. I think all the adults in the room understand this. I think the problem is when you let children determine um, economic and, and, and government policy, I think you get into trouble. And so, yeah, Keith, I mean, I, I do think on the margin that you have people who are much more open to nuclear power. I know this anecdotally, my friends who, you know, months ago would have never thought about energy policy, all of a sudden are like, yeah, why don't we do more nuclear power, et cetera, et cetera. But nuclear power is 6% of global energy. You know, 83% of all the global primary global energy is uh, fossil fuel. So in order of importance, it's coal, crude oil, and then natural gas, and then well below hydro, non um non-hydro renewables and then and then nuclear power and so the, the 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 screwed up thing is we've spent 20 years or not 20 years sorry sorry we spent about 10 years or whatever um naming and shaming people who have been building critical infrastructure and then now when we need it they, they you know they blame the oil execs who haven't uh, you know it's it to me it's just 
I'd like to, if I could just, yeah, I, I just really call attention to all the people on LinkedIn who are insisting that ESG is a good way to run the world. <laughs> Hopefully they'll stop posting, but I, it's just, I don't, I see it at the margin, Keith, but I think it's very, very hard politically to turn your boat around to after years and years and years of telling everybody that there's only one way one road there's only one road to perdition and it's through solar and wind and solar and wind and solar and wind to turn around and go hey maybe we should build a nuclear power plant or two or natural gas which let's remind everybody natural gas is 50 percent less emissions than coal it, it's a i i think so it's also though it's, it's a bit of a race against time though as well because it, it takes a long time to do that and i, I think the financial market fuse is a lot shorter right than the you know, the, the change to more nuclear for, for that fuse as, as an example. So I don't know if we're, you know, I, I think we, you know, again, um, you know, I don't have a pleasant message, you know, for, for people no, with markets. Are. Yeah. And uh, however, there's ways to make money out of it. So don't be. Well, that's you know, it. My energy is my biggest, my only overweight. And, uh, you know, I go to yeah. client meetings and she's like, and they're like, well, what are you over? What are you, what are you overweight? I'm like, I'm the only sector that I think you should own. And again, this is not investment advice before I get myself in trouble, but the only sector that I like is energy because of the supply demand issues that we've discussed at length here. Uh, otherwise, and, and you know, today is a really so I think a portfolio like 20. just long U.S. dollar, which is short all the other currencies and long energy, <laughs> and you'd be a, you'd be pretty smart this year. Be, it would never pass your place. prospectus. <laughs> yeah, but you could buy a place in Kitslano and have a nice little yeah. rooftop patio and stuff like that. What do you think, Steve? Um, what are you, what are you hearing on this on these thoughts? I think Rich, you know, I was just sitting there listening. I think it was a tremendous rant. I think, uh, you know, just, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I like this podcast every week because as much as I enjoy the banter, I, I, I'm learning, right? I mean, like, I don't, I don't know all the answers and, and I get a lot of things wrong. And I just, you know, like to come here and, and learn from you two. And, and it's, you Same. know, it's a discussion, right? And this is always what the podcast was about, right? It's not like us telling everybody, you know, that we, we know everything and, and, you know, follow all of our advice. It's like, no, listen, we're all, we're all learning. We're going to make mistakes. Um, but you know, it's, it's about having intelligent, educated, objective conversation. And hopefully that can get sort of the creative juices flowing. And, and, and we basically just want to help people think for themselves, I think is really the idea here, right? Let's, let's sort of cut through the noise and, um, you know, we're on a platform here that allows us to really speak our, our minds and, and we control the platform and, and the podcast, right? So we can control your thoughts. Yeah. Well, no, but I uh, right, I mean, to, Rich's, to Rich's point earlier, right? It was like, oh, okay, well, like, how do we, how do you convince, like, politically, how do you transition from like all we've been told through government and media and, and culture? more importantly, culture and society has been told that yes, like oil and gas, bad, you know, wind turbines, nuclear good. Nu nuclear bad. We've yeah. been told that too. And so now how do you then turn around and say, Hey guys, like, uh, well, by the way, uh, <laughs> you know, we're now having to ramp up and use more coal because we didn't invest in, uh, in, you know, LNG. It's like, Oh, you can't, it, it's it's too tough to reverse. So, anyways, I mean, like I said, we hopefully this podcast uh, continues to sort of, you know, be a beacon of light and 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 education and, um, you know. So you hit, yeah, you hit a really good point because I think you know years ago, you know, the internet didn't exist, so everyone's views on stuff was really it was completely shaped by the media. But that that's what it was, and uh, if you thought differently, then you know you were just weird. And uh, so that's great today. So, you know, we can have this podcast, someone else can do another one, we can have a complete different view and it gets people talking and, and thinking. Uh, the other thing, because I think that you go back to markets again, because like I'm always markets, that's, that's the way we act and look at things. Um, it's sort of a, a bit different than this, but the market is always on the belief that, hey, the Fed is going to save us. You know, the central bank is going to save us, right? You know, they call it the Fed put and, and all that. But, um, you know, like, and this sounds really stupid, right? But, you know, back when I was a kid, it was, you know, we had like the $6 million man and then Fonzie, you know, they could save the day with, with all that stuff. 
and you're looking around today, if, if the Fed is gone, who's going to save the day? And I think what's great is that us now as individuals, you, you can save yourself. You, you could do with this, this stuff, you know, because you, you have more information. Uh, but what's absolutely going to happen next, remember when Draghi, no, not Draghi, it was uh, JC, Jean-Claude Juncker, you know, the Chiché. prime minister of, no, not oh, Chiché, Juncker. Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. The, the, the prime minister of uh, Belgium, and then he was the EU president, you know, for a while. And, uh, you know, the guy's always drinking the bottle all the time. By the way, there are some epic YouTube videos of him drunk at so many different events like it's just it, it's really funny uh but he's the guy that years ago said hey like when it's serious you have to lie and i think now we're at back at that point again financially and uh the fed they weren't lying yesterday they actually gave you a big you know dose of truth and uh so we have to start watching now what policymakers are saying what are they telling you and things like that but, um, you know, again, I think, um, you know, for equity, we, we've been very light on equities this year, so it's been helpful for us. But I think, I think we're almost done. Like, we're not really there yet. That was yeah, my question we're... for you. What, what are you looking for? My, I had a wrote a question for you, and, and it was like, what, what are you looking to see as far as the capitulation from the Fed? When do you think, what, if you had to from list like Fed? two or three things? Oh, or sorry, John, but in, in general, the market and the Fed, to me, they're connected, right? Yeah, I see more around time zone. I, I think timeline, I, I think we're a few weeks to a few months away from a, a bottom here. Really that short? Least. I think short. so. Yeah, it could get flushed out pretty hard, right? The final one. Right. And, um, you know, like, I, like we'll tell everyone, you know, when we're buying, but it'll be like three weeks after we bought, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we're going to do. But, um, you know, don't get caught. But you really think it's your... only just a couple of months? You, you think... You just think, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to hold you to it. Don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to understand sort of your thought process behind it. Yeah. It can happen that sometimes quick. Sometimes okay. it's just, yeah, I mean, sometimes it can be, okay, like that's enough. You know what I mean? Because markets will pivot pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so we could be, you know, getting closer. But that doesn't mean the economy has improved. Right. You know, that doesn't mean this has done better or, or whatnot. It's just that when there's no one else left to sell, you know, by default, you know, there's only buyers remaining. Uh, but the trick, of course, to make sure you have, you know, you have money and capital available, you know, to do that. And because, um, you know, see, you make a great point earlier, Steve, I think when you're talking about the, uh, the M2 growth at, at the, on the Fed's balance sheet, I think, it, I think you referenced June of 21, I think it was. And um, see, I, I was listening to this podcast. <laughs> Last week, February 2021. Was it? Yeah. Last week you were going on with something that I wasn't interested in, so I just sounds phased right. out. Yeah, but not this week. I'm I'm tuned in this week. Um, but yeah, but but when you can see that rolling over, it, it seems highly likely that you know risk off would happen, and, and it did start to happen about six months later. And now we could be getting the point where you just get the opposite taking place so remember like linear thinking my god like that will kill you in financial markets because by default it means equities will go to zero you know euro will well euro will go to zero that's not a good example but you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know that's where we're going so you know like don't worry like be concerned and don't don't be happy but you know we, we are getting closer to some really great buying opportunities coming up and one of the markets that we love um you know we we've been it it, it did really well at the beginning of the year now it's, it's come off a, a little bit and uh but we've been adding to that now over the last couple of weeks but i'll tell you that one now in a couple of weeks from now what what it is because we're still not finished adding to it but uh it, it's one of these long-term themes that uh like rich you've talked about it before as well and it's all tied in with with everything else but again if you're just patient and you pile on to these things and then it's, that's why actually, Keith, I didn't know you were so good. squishy and positive. Who knew you were an optimist? But I, I think that, that that's actually how I sort of feel about the energy policy, because I, I, I believe that we should move away from fossil fuels um, in a sensible and adult way. And I think that, you know, maybe this is the crisis that we need to just answer your previous question. This is maybe this is the crisis that we need to sort of expose the childish ways that we're going to sort this problem out and 
focus our energy on the longer term structural ways that we can deal with this fossil fuel question. Make no mistake, human beings will basically always consume fossil fuels. It's way, way, way too useful. There's too many industrial applications, but for energy, for like a power, you know, and, and that kind of thing, I think that th maybe this is the crisis that we have, that we need to everybody go, okay, let's just sort out the nuclear question and let's start building lots of hydroelectric dams. There's no, there's no reason why Canada cannot do that in, in like an incredible amounts and then sell it to America or why, um, you know, why there shouldn't be nuclear power plants all over Germany or whatever it is. And so, yeah, that I think you're right. I think the, in, in a way, the crisis sort of focuses those minds, doesn't it? And, and hopefully people well, have I've been, learned that. I've been incredibly optimistic on the U.S. dollar. <laughs> I've been really optimistic on XLE, which is the U.S. energy ETF. <laughs> I think that's a good place to, to wrap it up. Um, you know, I think just, yeah, in summary, you know, be diligent out there. Um, you know, we don't like to mince words, but it's good. It is going to be a challenging, you know, six, 12 months ahead and uh, there'll be opportunities and, you know, just try to position yourself obviously accordingly. So you're on the right side of those opportunities, but um, yeah. Um, I think that's a good place to leave episode 50. We're getting close to the episode 52, the one year, anniversary so uh we'll see if we can kind of try and line up something fun for that uh we're still working on our event details for toronto the date is confirmed for december 1st just working on the venue and some final details there so we'll uh we'll we'll announce that shortly with with the link to get tickets and whatnot so as always we appreciate your support we'll see you next week